isn't she a beauty as she looks off into the distance with that little upturned nose there and that perfect jawline and she's kind of looking off into the distance and she's just the most beautiful young lady you probably has ever seen. Somebody says, that's not a beautiful young lady. That's an old hag. That's not a beautiful upturned, whoops, what I do? You guys help me out if I shut the whole thing off. It's also not my, okay. That's an old hag. That's not a beautiful upturned nose. That's a wart on a great big old hook nose. And that's not a little choker around her neck. That's a mouth. And those are baggy old eyes. And she's not very pretty at all. In fact, there's nothing to be desired about her. There's, there's nothing good. And I'm thinking that's kind of the way we view life sometimes. Maybe it's the way we view Jesus sometimes. It depends, on, it depends on how you look at Him. I like to talk about the Jesus who was kind to children. The Jesus who was patient with those who wanted to hear more of what He had to say. The Jesus that talked about Himself being the Good Shepherd. That's the pretty young lady version of Jesus that we like to deal with. Some people don't like to talk about the Jesus who drew those money chain, drove those money changers out of the temple. Or the Jesus who, in very almost cold language, denounced some of the religious leaders of His day. Or Jesus who talked about such things as judgment and gave us more information on eternal punishment than any, anybody else in the New Testament. It's kind of a matter of which side of Jesus you want to look at. I remember Romans 11.22 says, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Tonight I want us to look at maybe not the whole picture, maybe not the complete picture, but kind of a well-rounded picture of Jesus. And we're going to be doing it by looking at one word that we really don't like to talk about. Now, if you looked at that long enough, I see some of you are still looking, trying to figure out where's the young lady, where's the old lady, but we're going to move on. If you want a copy of this later, you can look at it and so on and so forth. Here's the word. The word is Judgment. I'm convinced that we need to think more sometimes about that concept of judgment. We get up and we go to work, we go to school, we go throughout our daily activities and we come to church and we do various things and maybe maybe the thought never really crosses our mind that all of us are headed for judgment. Hebrews writer said, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that... The judgment. Now he's using that to make another point. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So he's talking about a one-time thing, death, and then the judgment. As a preacher, I need to think about that. James chapter 3 reminds those of us who try to teach and preach that probably a lot of people don't need to try that because we might fall into greater judgment, condemnation. 
Maybe that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27 said, I buffet my body and keep it under subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul basically is saying, look, I've got to be careful about me, about what I teach, how I live, because I realize I'm responsible for that. I'm accountable for that, but that's not just for the teachers. Not just for Adam and Tyler and Barad and the elders here and the Bible class teachers here or the guy standing up here tonight. That's not just for us. I think I've read somewhere, like in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But every one of us, that's pretty inclusive, all, every one. I don't think he's leaving anybody else, leaving anybody out. Every one of us may receive the deeds according to what he has done, whether it's good or bad. Judgment. The two sides of Jesus. Here's one of the sides that we like to look at. God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But then there's this one in John chapter 9. And Jesus said, here's our word, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. John chapter 9 and verse 39. So I said, well, maybe... Maybe judgment isn't always a, a negative concept. You know, our kids, I guess this has been our second year maybe, up at Paducah that we've gotten involved in Lads to Leaders, or was it the first year, second year? And I've, you know, every once in a while you get asked to judge speech or song leading or something. That doesn't mean you're cutting these kids down. You're just giving your opinion about how good a job they done, have done with the task that they've chosen to do. And it may be that you compliment them a great deal. As I study it, there's about three or four different Greek words that are translated in various translations, judgment and, and things like that. One of them just has to do with basically giving your opinion. Is, is my judgment that this is a good speech or a good song or whatever it is? There's one that kind of tends toward you're going to get punished about something. You're going to get punished for something. And neither one of those words are in John 9 and verse 39. The word that's there in other places in the New Testament is translated condemnation or damnation. What? We're talking about some of the things that Jesus said this week why I came to earth, and he says, I came to bring that kind of judgment, condemnation, damnation. Is that why he came? That's why he said he came. One of the reasons he gave for coming. You got your Bible open? Turn to John chapter 9, and we're going to work our way to that verse and then have some things to say about that verse and some other verses in the Bible before we finish this lesson this evening. And by the way, I thought those letters up there were white, so I apologize that the fact that you can't read them all that well, but I read them to you, so maybe you can understand what they have to say. John chapter 9. 
What's the story in John chapter 9? Well, there's a man who's born blind that Jesus comes across. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, ask a question. Now, have you ever asked a question you maybe didn't think through real, real carefully? I think they ask a question they didn't think through real carefully. My Bible says the man was born blind. Underline that in your mind. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? Are you thinking with me? How can a man who's born blind be born blind because he has sinned? That's kind of a question you don't really think through before you ask it. But apparently the, the apostles of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, had the same problem that Job's friends had, had the same problem that you and I have sometimes, that maybe when bad things happen to people, that means they've done something wrong. That's kind of what Job's friends were all about. Job, we're here to help you figure out where you went wrong. No, nobody would suffer like you suffer if there wasn't something wrong with you. So we're good enough friends they are going to help you figure out where you went wrong and why the Lord's mad at you. That wasn't the proper attitude and the proper way to look at things. And sometimes I get to thinking like that. And sometimes maybe the reverse of that... I think I'm doing the right thing, I'm trying to do the right thing, and something bad happens, my health goes bad, my finances have a problem, or something, my marriage is bad, or whatever it is. What did I do to deserve this? If it were true that good living guaranteed the blessings of God, I'm afraid some of us would be serving God for the wrong reason. Kind of like a slot machine that pays off all the time. I'll do good, I'll get good. I'll do good, I'll get good. I'll do bad, I get bad. Okay, I don't want to do that. I'll do good, so I always get good. And Jesus explains to his disciples, that's not what's going on here. It wasn't the man or his parents, but that the works of God, verse 3, might be displayed in him. And he talks about the short time he has to do good works. And then... And then Jesus heals the man in kind of an unusual way. He makes this mud and he rubs it on the man's eyes, goes and tells the man to wash in the pool of Siloam, and then the man can see. Remember what day he did this on? It's going to happen again. It happened Sunday. It happened Monday. It happened Tuesday. It's going to happen again. He's going to get criticized for something either he or his disciples do on the Sabbath day. Can't do something like that on the Sabbath day. They begin to question the man about what happened. Well, here's what happened. Well, who is this guy? Well, he's a prophet. That's how much the man knew up to this point. Well, he wouldn't be a man of God or he would know that you can't do stuff like that on the Sabbath day. So let's call the parents in. By the way, I find it intriguing that the man's parents were still alive. Can you imagine what he must have thought when for the very first time two people he had known all of his life only by the sound of their voice 
he now saw his mom for the first time. He saw his dad for the first time. He saw the surroundings, the trees, or whatever he, wherever he was. He, he saw things for the first time, but especially his mom and his dad. He knew their voice, but now he knew what they looked like. So they bring them in, the Pharisees do, the religious leaders, and they, they got a question for them. Is this your son, and was he born blind, and how was he healed? Cop-out time. Big time cop-out time. Yeah, that's our son. Yeah, he was born blind. I have no idea. I have no idea how he was healed. Remember why they wouldn't answer? They were afraid they'd be put out of the synagogue. We're going to be disfellowshipped. We'll be put out of the synagogue if we say anything about Jesus healing our son. So we'll go two-thirds of the way. He's our son. He was born blind. Hey, you're going to have to ask him. You've got to ask him how this happened. So they did. And he told them. And he kind of had a little back and forth with them that he almost was kind of throwing some stuff in their face about whether or not they were going to be believers in Jesus. Finally, he and Jesus have a conversation. And in the midst of that earlier conversation with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, there's one of those things that we talk about sometimes that I wonder if we spend too much time talking about. Have you heard this before? We know that God does not hear a sinner's prayer. If any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. You ever heard that expression before? Sure you have. That's what the blind man said in John 9. And so some people say, see, God doesn't hear somebody who's not a Christian pray. And somebody else says, wait a minute. None of the apostles said that. Jesus didn't say that. It was the blind man who said that. And so they go back and forth on whether or not God hears somebody's prayers who's not a Christian, who's not a follower of Jesus. And somebody brings up Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And he was told, your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. And so here we start splitting hairs about, does he hear prayers? And what does this mean about a memorial? You may or may not agree with me. And this is totally opinion, okay? Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. And I guess I'm entitled to mine and you're entitled to yours. Here's my opinion. I believe with all of my heart that if somebody is truly seeking to know the truth and praying to God about that, God will allow him or her the opportunity to hear the truth. I believe that. I don't think it means God saves the person because they're praying to him. And I don't think it means that the person is automatically going to obey when they hear the truth. But I do believe that if I'm out here somewhere and I really want to know what it's all about, somehow some preacher, some church member, something will happen to let me read or hear or understand the truth, and then it's up to me whether or not to obey it. And so Jesus and this man have this conversation. 
The man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And now we're finally to our verse. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, or no sin, some translations have. But now you say, We see your guilt remains. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. What's he talking about? If you've got your Bible, look at Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus is in a situation where he's doing some things with some people in his, his hometown. And it says in verse 18 and 19 of Luke 4, this is where he unfolds the scripture and begins to read in his hometown of Nazareth. And where he reads, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and following, that's where that came from. That's where Jesus was reading Isaiah 61, beginning with verse 1, except for the fact, are you listening? Except for the fact that the phrase recovering of sight to the blind is not in Isaiah 61. What's the point? It's sandwiched in between to proclaim liberty to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed, And sandwiched in between that, Jesus says also, recovering of sight to the blind. Now, back in southern Illinois, where I grew up, we thought we were pretty cool. We had some really cool expressions. I don't know if people in Alabama had these expressions or not, or if you know what I'm saying when I say some of these expressions, but... Once in a while, when you're trying to figure something out or somebody's telling you something, and finally the light bulb goes off in your head, which it never did in my head in geometry class. It never went off in my head. But finally you get it. And our cool expression was, I see, said the blind man. You ever heard that? I see, said the blind man. I kind of think that's what's going on here. I kind of think that what happens in John chapter 9 is not just a man recovering his sight or getting his sight for the first time. I believe what's going on is some spiritual insight that he had that those Jewish leaders didn't have. Isaiah chapter nine, 6, rather, verses 9 through 10. You're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, and sometimes we pick something out of context and we we make a point that maybe we shouldn't make with it where the Lord asks Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for me? Here am I, send me. He gets all excited. I'm going to, 
wait, wait, wait. Let's go back and read Isaiah 6 again. What had Isaiah seen before he had agreed and volunteered to be the Lord's spokesman to God's people? Go back to the very first verses of Isaiah chapter 6. You'll find he had seen a great, great vision of God. Just go back and read it sometime. And that he had had an experience where he realized his sins had been taken away. I wonder sometimes if that's what stands in my way, if I don't see God as the great God that he is. I remember reading a book a long time ago, Your God is Too Small. Maybe my God is too small. And maybe like we talked about, I think it was last night, maybe I don't really understand what it ever felt like to be lost and to be saved from eternal punishment. And so after he had seen all of this, then God says, who can I send? Who's going to go for us? I'll go. Now if you're back in Isaiah 6 with me, see if I'm representing this correctly or incorrectly. At that point, God says, that's good, Isaiah. You're going to have the cushiest job on the face of the earth. You'll get to dress in a suit and a tie, and you'll stand before people on Sunday morning and Sunday night and maybe some other times, maybe in gospel meetings throughout the land, and just because you represent me, people are going to just bow down and think you're the greatest thing in the world and are going to believe everything you say. Is that your reading of Isaiah 6? <laughs> Not quite. Let's go back and look at it, what it really does say. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I, send me. And he, God said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, this is Isaiah talking, How long, O Lord? He said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Put that in Jim Fon words. God is telling Isaiah, the more you preach, the less they're going to listen. The more you preach, the more they're going to turn you off. Well, yeah, I can do that for a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two, or maybe I can sign up for maybe four or five years. Uh Uh-uh. Isaiah, you're in this until nobody's left. You're going to keep preaching and preaching and preaching. They're going to keep not listening, not listening, not listening. That sounds like a real good job, doesn't it? That's what Isaiah was commissioned to do. And then Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 13, and are people just like those people of Isaiah's day. And he said, you are fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. And he quotes those verses. So here's what's going on. What's going on is there are people listening to Jesus. The more He talks, 
the more he teaches, the less they are listening. I got a question for you, and I, I made sure to, to get the original cast here of Moses and Pharaoh and some of his advisors, Charlton Heston and Yule Brenner and some of those guys. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Got your Bible? Go to the book of Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21 and you'll find God saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. If you flip over to chapter 8 of Exodus and verse 15, that verse says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Here's the question again. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God or Pharaoh? You know what the answer is? Yes. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did that happen? What are you talking about, Jim? And how, and how does it fit into to John chapter 9? What, what's going on here? What happened is, God kept giving Pharaoh an opportunity to change his mind. And every time Pharaoh changed his mind, and then unchanged his mind, it got easier to do the next time. And his heart got harder and harder and harder and harder. And so when Jesus says in John chapter 9, those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind, I believe that's what he's talking about. He's talking about those religious leaders of his day who are all caught up in their own righteousness They're going to keep the law. They're going to cross every T and dot every I and make sure everything's okay. And they could not see that the Messiah was right there in front of them. All these Old Testament prophecies, what's the number 353 or something like that? Old Testament prophecies appoint to Jesus. There He is right there in front of them. And the more He talks and the more He does, the worse off they are. Jim, are you saying that the coming of Jesus made people worse? That's exactly what I'm saying. And I think it's important that he says, for judgment I have come into the world. Not I will. I'm here right now for judgment. Go back to John 3 with me. We kind of talked about John 3 and how nice that looks. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and so on and so forth. Look at verse 17. That's the one we had on the screen a while ago. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. See? See? It's all nice and... Now let's keep reading. He didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is... Are you reading with me or thinking with me? Is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. There's our word again. The light has come into the world 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. For whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clear, may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. During Jesus' day, I'm suggesting to you very strongly this evening, and during our day, I'm suggesting to you very strongly this evening, there are two distinct classes of people. I'm not talking about racially, racial division, black and white, or yellow and black, or yellow and white, or red and white, or any of that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about rich and poor. I'm not even talking about Jew and Gentile that the Bible talks about. I'm not talking about educated and uneducated. I'm not talking about Kentucky basketball fans and the poor people who root for somebody else. I'm talking about people like the disciples of Jesus who can't get enough of what He has to say. And they want to hang on every word He says. And people... They don't care. The preacher can preach all he wants to. The personal worker can do his or her work all they want to. We can hand them tracts, hand them Bibles, do whatever. And they, I, you, not listening, already turned off. And the more it happens, the easier it gets turn it off. He came, we talked about last night, to seek and to save that which was lost, those who would come to Him. He also came, according to the passage we're looking at this evening, He also came at that time, during His time here on earth, He came for judgment. And some people, sadly a lot of people, didn't want to buy what he was selling. And they quit listening. And they basically judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. So, what do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see a picture that's composed of various events in his life? Do you see like a cross and maybe an angel with a trumpet and all kinds of sheep and various things that kind of somebody has put together and makes a, a composite picture of Jesus? Do you pick out what you like and kind of throw away what you don't like and you see this event and this activity and this teaching and you kind of just ignore the rest? Or are you looking for the whole picture? Are you looking for Jesus? The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that we're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses and that we ought to lay aside every weight, every sin, and the weight that so easily besets us. And let us run with patience that race is set before us, looking unto 
To who? Jesus. Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, despised the cross, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He came here for you. He died for you. He wants to welcome you into His family and ultimately welcome you into heaven. If you're here this evening, I don't think you'd be here. I honestly don't. I don't think you'd be here if you're one of those people that, okay, gospel means nothing to me. Jesus means nothing to me. I'm not listening. You've listened very carefully. Now will you respond and act on what you've listened to and come to Jesus in obedience? Believing that He is the Son of God, turning away from your former life, letting people know about your faith in Jesus, and being baptized for the remission of your sins, becoming a follower of His. Would you do that this evening? Do you need to come back this evening? Why don't you do that right now as we stand and sing the song of encouragement?